I'm Scott Poley, a senior threat hunter at Cyborg Security, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Justin Hurd, who's a manager of threat hunting and intelligence at Newspire. Today, we're going to explore the benefits of hybrid models of threat hunting delivered by managed security service providers, where a customer may outsource their threat hunting efforts, or even if they retain some of the security functions internally or vice versa. We'll be discussing prerequisites for threat hunting, hunting maturity, reporting and metrics, and both quick and strategic wins that threat hunting has had for customers and clients. And most importantly, an operational perspective on threat hunting from threat hunters doing the job. So as the threat landscape continues to evolve, it's more important than ever to have an effective threat hunting strategy in place. But we know many organizations struggle to find the resources or expertise to do it effectively in-house. That's where hybrid hunting comes in. It's a powerful model that lets you divide security tasks between your internal teams and an MSSP to create an unbeatable threat detection and response force. So whether you're just getting started with threat hunting or looking to improve your existing program, this webinar will provide valuable insights and practical guidance on program development and management. With real-world examples of successful hybrid hunting implementations, you should be inspired to take the lead in your organization's cybersecurity defense. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into hybrid hunting, threat hunting, and a managed security battle space. Now, before we get started, I want to remind everyone that this is supposed to be an interactive session. We're looking forward to hearing your questions, so please don't hesitate to throw them in the chat. We either answer them directly or highlight them in the Q&A portion. Also, please note that this session will be recorded and will be sent out shortly after the event. We want to make sure that you have all the information you need to start leveraging hybrid hunting for your organization. And the best way to do that is to have an open dialogue and address those questions and concerns that you may have. So getting started, we're going to kind of talk about hybrid hunting. So Justin, you know, what is hybrid hunting? How would you define that? Hello, Scott. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining. Uh, thanks for the introduction there. Uh, so hybrid hunting. Uh, I think, you know, for me, hybrid hunting is the combination of internal security teams uh, and service providers coming together. Uh, I think it's a really good way to compensate for a lack of expertise or the amount of expertise you need to keep in-house uh, in order to have a successful threat hunting uh, organization. So why do you feel hybrid hunting is kind of a necessity in the, today's combined world? Uh there's a couple of reasons that come to mind. Uh, first one being uh, the, the amount of expertise and experience that it takes to be uh, or, or have a lot of successful hunts uh, is pretty high. And so, you know, with an MSSP, you get a lot of exposure and experience to, to different types of attacks, uh, different hunts uh, on different types of devices, uh, different EDRs, SIM solutions, so on and so forth. Um, and then the second part of that is uh, the customer side. Uh, you know, threat hunting or hybrid threat hunting is, is a really good partnership between uh, the service provider and the internal teams. No one knows the network as intimately as uh, the internal teams. And so working together to help validate baseline things uh, is really important. And so that's where I think the hybrid model, uh, you know, makes us more potent when it comes to threat hunting. That makes sense. So what are some of the opportunities with hybrid hunting? Uh, so it, it kind of gives you a head start, right? You can kind of jump in with little to no experience with threat hunting, just knowing that, you know, what are the benefits, what the benefits of it are and that you want to do it. Uh, and so attaching with uh, a service provider to kind of help guide you through that, uh, using proven processes, um, to discover threats, uh, that aren't typically discovered by, um, you know, s standard detection methods it needs a human, a human eye to look at, to, to figure out what's going on. Um, I think, uh, those are some of the biggest opportunities with, with hybrid threat hunting is just a head start, right? Someone, uh, who, who can go through the process with you to build out your program. So with doing hybrid hunting, what are some of the challenges that you've kind of seen or faced? Uh, so anytime you talk about hunting, you can't talk about it without talking about coverage. And so I think like uh, knowing what technology, what log sources uh, produce the best results for threat hunting um, is is a bit of a challenge. And so making sure that those things are in place for uh, the client. Uh, and then the other part of that is uh, baselining normal activity. There's always kind of a spin up uh, process when starting threat hunting and, and especially hybrid threat hunting, 
uh, for the service provider to understand what's normal with inside that environment. Uh, and so that could take some time to really uh, start vetting those things out. And I think that could be a little bit of a challenge uh, from a hybrid hunting standpoint. And lastly, to kind of help define the hybrid hunting, you know, I'm sure people have questions about is what kind of technologies are really required for the hybrid hunting, you know, engagement? Yeah. And, and you'll see this kind of goes with the challenges a little bit, like, uh, you know, knowing what technologies you need to fill that gap is very important. I would say, you know, in my mind, uh, EDR, uh, SIM solutions to aggregate all that information into one spot uh, for your threat hunters or, or threat hunting teams uh, to take a look at. Uh, firewalls, uh, when you get a little bit more advanced, uh, threat intelligence platforms helps you prioritize your hunts, which is kind of the first part uh, of the threat hunt experience. Uh, and then you can even get into, you know, things like automation and so on and so forth as your program starts to mature uh, through like a SOAR platform. But I'd say the, the primary ones are uh, the SIM solution EDRs um, and uh, firewall security logs. Cool. So let's kind of pivot into kind of hunting maturity here. Because uh, I think we did a good job kind of laying out what hybrid hunting is. So how does leveraging an MSSP for threat hunting help organizers fast track their threat hunting efforts? Yeah, I think, you know, a big part of threat hunting uh, is the processes. And so what do we do? How do we perform a threat hunt? Uh, and so being an MSSP, we could bring those processes with us um, and kind of say, you know, this is where we've had success and we can augment them to work with that, that client's environment. Uh, and so uh, that gives that gives a really good uh, head start to hunting in general. It's like, here's a process, here's what we do uh, when we find something uh, and kind of working through that chain with them. Uh, and then, you know, the MSSB having a lot of experience and expertise hunting multiple types of environments uh, for multiple uh, different types of attack uh, is very beneficial uh, with this model. I would say, um, you know, the the... The MSSP will have hunts already, uh, so hunts that are you know that that give good results, that uh, touch techniques that are highly used by threat actors, and so that's another jumping point, uh, you know, for the service provider to already have some stuff to start hunting right away, uh, given that we have the right log sources. Yeah, so you you mentioned process, and that kind of brings me back to some training I did many years back, where they were trying to talk about threat hunting. Um, in my earlier cyber days or security professional days. And, you know, they did kind of preach on the, they had all these really talented people and they wanted to threat hunt. So they said, go find bad. Cause sometimes that misconception of threat hunting is just, you just go look for things. And there's more to it than that. And when they did that, they didn't have a lot of success. They had these smart people and they kind of came back with their hands empty as far as like, maybe we have some things, maybe we don't. But when they kind of had that defined process, they kind of reconvened and say, let's look for these specific things or like, let's like, you know, walk through it um, kind of in a procedural manner, not just, you know, go out and grab whatever you can. They saw a lot of success with that. So I think that process piece is really important that you called out. So I like that a lot. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, is it your experience that most organizations have enough logging already to support threat hunting operations? Yeah, I would say they typically do. So you don't need everything. Obviously, visibility is very important because, you know, threat hunting is data-driven. But especially if you have a security operation center that's already kind of collecting or centralizing data, you know, you can already leverage the data you're collecting. And typically, you're collecting things like, you know, process execution, a lot of times command line arguments, um, and, you know, just that common security log base. Um, and then especially if you have EDR tools in place, there's tons of great telemetry that's generated by those tools. Um, and then, you know, typically, you know, when there are specific gaps, you'll see that threat actors will try to avoid the traditional logs or, or create different artifacts that you may not log. But as you mature threat hunting and you've already kind of started those processes and have been doing it a while, then you can figure out how to augment some of those things with, say, some Sysma logging and things like that. So, but I, I think it's, you always seem to always have the data available to at least get started for sure. Yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit there. Like, I think it is a common misconception that you need everything to start out. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you want to mature your program over time. Uh, but, you know, threat hunting can be simple at the beginning uh, and then just start to mature as you as you need to find uh, more things or you build great processes around those simple things. Uh, and so I think that's a, that's a great point there. Yeah, so if an organization is looking to implement hybrid hunting, 
Um, what, what are some of the things they can do to prepare for that? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, you're going into an engagement with the customer already kind of aware of their environment, what they have, what they don't have, um, is really good. So understanding their coverage, their gaps, um, helps a little bit. Um, I think also, you know, it's never too early to start building processes, uh, and, and procedures around threat hunting, you know, what, you know, what is our end goal of threat hunting, you know, kind of get that written down and actually get these things written down to where you can recall them. Uh, what's the process if we do find something, where are we sending it? Who's taking care of it? Uh, you know, threat hunting can produce different types of results. So it can repeat, uh, produce detections where you may need another team that's creating detections within those, uh, different devices. Uh, we can also just create reports or information, uh, which is also very helpful. And so I think having, you know, those processes already in place or having an idea of what those processes should be, uh, and having an idea of what your coverage is now and maybe where some gaps is, uh, is a good starting point, uh, for approaching the service provider. Your point. So how do you address visibility challenges? I know we've talked a little bit about logging here, uh, challenges in organization when it comes to HUDs you are trying to deploy, do you require certain levels of logging or data collection? Yeah. So typically when we work with people, we have kind of the defaults, uh, or the, the types of logs we typically are hunting in, um, as part of that. But, uh, one of the things we also produce with a lot of our hunt packs is ways to emulate that. So you can immediately see, hey, do we have that visibility or not? Because um, we've seen in some cases where, if, say, a, a customer is using an EDR tool specifically, some EDR tools don't look at certain artifacts. Um, and in those cases, you know, we we offer uh, different types of Sysma logging that you could enable with configs or what logging you should enable on the endpoint so you can collect that data differently. Um, it's not the end of the world because, you know, when, you, when you're looking for, you know, bad things, you know, there's layers to that. So if you don't see that one layer, there's other places to look. Um, but that's typically how we try to enable um, customers to determine what kind of login they need to be able to emulate that behavior to validate it, but also give them other opportunities to see that data if they can. Yeah. I mean, that, that emulation piece is super important. Uh, and you know, that's a, a, a great part uh, of the platform you guys have is to be able to create that log, uh, to, to see if you have that coverage. And so, uh, you know, that's an easy way to help customers identify gaps uh, by just running emulations to see if the hunts actually work in their environment, which is really great. Uh, you know, we use a, a lab environment to do kind of some of the, the same things there, uh, but the emulations are great. To, hey, let's produce that log to see if we can find it. And so uh, I think that's a great approach to, um, you know, some visibility challenges and, and kind of help building that program of, over time. Yeah, so let's kind of switch to some, you know, reporting and metrics kind of a topic, right? We're talking about, you know, finding things as far as like visibility. I know when we report that kind of comes up a lot too, but, you know, what do the results of a threat hunt look like once it's completed and delivered to a client, uh, you know, on your side? What are the kind of like the deliverables you guys typically uh, cover down on for that? Yeah, I think these are sometimes overlooked from a threat hunting perspective, but I think very important to give visibility uh, because, you know, a hunt that doesn't return results is not a bad hunt. Um, and then if you have those emulations in there and understand that your coverage, your visibility on those things are great, um, you know, it's good. You know, we're looking at things, we're prioritizing uh, on, you know, trends and things of that nature. Uh, so I think reporting is really um, important and metrics around that to, to give an example of uh, how, uh, how well your threat of program is doing. Uh, deliverables for us, uh, can range. So it can be as simple as a report with details. We have a finding for a specific customer. I can kind of be an overarching report that just says, Hey, these are the hunts that we've done in your environment, uh, you know, based off of these dependencies, uh, they could be, uh, follow-ups with the client, uh, where we, we, maybe we found something that maybe is suspicious. Uh, we need that validation, that kind of where that, that partnership comes into play. Uh, you know, maybe it's normal for, you know, encrypted PowerShell to be used to, to push something, uh, you know, from an admin, uh, but we, we may see it as malicious. Um, and so that partnership comes into play there. Uh, so I think those are some of the big deliverables of hunting, uh, you know, reports, findings, uh, detections are really great, uh, deliverable from hunting. Uh, it's just a hunt that we don't have to recreate again. 
Uh, right. we, can, we can protect it. We can uh, kind of set it, forget it, and update it when we need to. Uh, that's another really good deliverable from the threat hunting process. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Uh, so on your side, what kind of uh, metrics do you track for hunts, either internally or externally? So, yeah, we have, uh, as part of our platform, we have a hunt module, we call it. And it kind of uh, helps facilitate that reporting, uh, as well as kind of like scheduling things for people to do kind of the internal hunt process. Um, but in that reporting module, we allow people to put in their own notes as they're hunting uh, alongside all the contextual data we have from our hunt packs, you know, that usually has some of the intel pieces, the type of things they're hunting for, um, and then, you know, kind of the outcomes of those hunt reports. And there's similar, you know, outcomes and metrics that you kind of mentioned before, right? Like, you know, identifying visibility gaps is a big one, especially when you can apply emulation to know it's a gap or just a no find. Um, and then, you know, the no findings, which is good. You know, if you're looking for a specific behavior, especially if you feel very confident, it's, you know, tied to this adversary and they use it repeatedly, um, the no findings means they're just not there, or at least they're not using that technique. Um, and then that detection piece, right? You know, everyone always wants to have more detections or more reliable detections. And I think when you're able to mature that hunt, um, to the point where you're not getting false positives anymore in your environment and you're able to make that detection. I mean, that's a really high fidelity detection that you kind of really baked in. Um, so you can have really good processes around that detection versus you're, you know, having to get start from square one every time that alert pops. And then we kind of have that catch all escalated kind of bucket. Um, and this is basically means, Hey, we found something we need to then share with another team or, or move it somewhere else to be looked into further. Um, and so that's kind of, how we do that but one of the things we keep track of what i which i do like and i think it helps with building those detections especially if you're doing that repeated hunt over time are all the kind of pivots that you may have done in your hunt um and that's just because it shows what are additional steps you had to take to either exclude certain things from your hunt or things that you may have to tweak um in order to get to the kind of root cause of whatever it is you're investigating and that either helps with it you know the response actions if you turn into a detection from that operational piece or helps with how do we make this a detection to begin with. So I think those are good places too. So that, that's some of the things we do, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, metrics are really strong and it's sometimes hard to know where to start. Like, how do I measure how effective I'm being? So I really do like that. The idea of uh, measuring uh, how many pivots to understand, you know, was my thoughts efficient to begin with? Uh, are there some things that would, I need to tweak to make it more efficient over time? Uh, it's, a, it's a really, uh, really cool perspective there. Yeah, so I think we're going to pivot into threat hunting wins. I know you you had some starting topics for that, so I don't know if you want to kick that off. Yeah, I think uh, you know from your side, what are what are some some uh, quick wins you've seen from threat hunting or hybrid threat to threat hunting in general? Yeah, so you know, one of the things I think it, it really helps when you kind of share that load of threat hunting, um, especially a lot of organizations if they're not doing that really proactive very mature threat hunting process. You know, they kind of have threat hunting as a capability, but it's kind of more that ad hoc fashion where as things come up, they kind of drop what they're doing, especially if that's not their primary role to then start threat hunting. Um, the emerging threat piece is a big one. Uh, I think that helps because every security professional gets hit with that Friday afternoon. Hey, this just hit the news. My manager asking questions about this or whatever, you know, whatever pipe that comes down. And that becomes a huge burden and also a big stress inducer and anxiety um, problem there. And when you kind of have someone else looking at those emerging things as well that are dedicating their time to helping to put together the relevant intel, the the hunt packages that you can basically say, hey, we're looking internally based on what we know about our processes, but we have someone else who's feeding us exactly what we should be looking for from all the public reporting and things that they have access to. I think that's really a big win there because now your your security team can be more streamlined and efficient. Um, you know, you, sometimes when those things happen, it kind of feels like running around with your head cut off, you know, like chicken with the head cut off, you know, mentality. And it really kind of keeps that leaven, even keel, let's just attack our normal processes, walk through our normal things, engage the people and services that we have that are looking at, at the same things. Because I know you guys probably monitor just like we do all the things that are emerging in, at a continuous fashion. So... I think that's a really good win for a lot of teams. Yeah, and, you know, prioritization is key a lot of times with those, yeah. these things. Uh, you know, I like when, uh, you know, example uh, that I can see for success is uh, I like when we, we identify something trending. Uh, we create 
or we do a hunt on that. Uh, we build it, uh, and you know that the, the pot of gold within rainbow, we get a detection. Hey, there's something inside of this that we can detect, uh, and the techniques that are being used by the actors. Um, and then uh, a lot of times those those uh, techniques are new. You'll see them adopted by other malware families, and so. Now, you know, not only did we stop, um, you know, one malware family, we stopped multiple because they're using the same tactic. And so uh, we've seen this even quite recently, um, you know, where where a tactic's being used uh, and then, you know, another threat actor picks up that tactic, but we're already detecting it. So we're kind of ahead. And so a lot of, you know, threat hunting were proactively going back. But the things that we could do uh, really, you know, can protect us moving forward. Uh, into the future, and so I think those are always great wins for hunts uh, when you know things uh, things like that can come out of it. Yeah, I, I have to say when you mentioned like to be able to see you know actors adopting those techniques and things moving forward, you know ransomware has always been a big thorn in everyone's side. But when you look at those groups over time, they do a lot of the same things. So what you're speaking to really helps address that problem as well that you know a lot of people don't realize. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, uh, I, I was reading a report and they talked about, uh, ransomware in general, uh, seems like it's going down, but it's, you know, the, the techniques are being detected earlier in the stages. And so while the attack attempts are still about the same, uh, the detection for the initial access or initial infections, uh, have gone up, uh, through threat hunting, through, you know, platforms and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think that's a good example too. Uh, what are uh, what are some strategic benefits an organization has seen from threat hunting? Yeah, so I always like to think of, you know, people think of threat hunting as it's just a tool within the security operation to help find bad things, right? But I feel like because you're doing proactive things, um, we talked about identifying visibility gaps, which is a big thing, um, but also that extends to the, just what's the native visibility of the solutions you're actually deploying in your security or technology stacks. Because um, a lot of times I feel like when I have uncovered visibility issues, it's when I'm proactively doing something, but I'm driven by like say incident response, which is kind of like the where you don't want to be discovering those things. Yeah. You know, but if you're, if you're threat hunting, you're actively engaged with your products, you're actively engaged with, you know, different areas of your environment. So you're able to kind of, you know, pull those things out. And I think when you have that understanding, um, of like maybe where security technologies overlap a lot, where there's gaps, visibility, and so forth, um, that really helps drive all those future projects or environmental changes, or maybe other technology you may need to implement, or technology you may need to retire or replace with something else. You know, those are those like three to five year type, you know, planning um, strategic moves that I think threat hunting creates a more of a data driven decision than kind of that emotional decision that some people kind of fall into like, Hey, we need to do something. What should we do? Well, I heard this marketing ad. It sounds really cool. Let's try this. You know, I think it's really good to have that. So I think that's a um, really good, really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that point. You, and you see that a lot, right? You know, you kind of throw the kitchen sink at it, you know, cause you kept, you need this, you need that, you need this, but you know, ultimately you just need to fill the gaps. And so uh, I think browsing is a great way to, to try to identify those gaps prior to an IR, right? Yeah. And, you know, we don't get in and be like, oh, well, I really wish we had that logging. Uh, and that's where that hunting comes in place where, you know, we've already looked at these things and I've mm -hmm. identified we gaps. Uh, and then it also gives you a chance to uh, put some compensating controls in there. Is there something else we could do while that project is kind of developing? and uh, really helps the decision-making process, uh, you know, from, from a higher level. Absolutely. So yeah, I want to kind of switch to like the operational perspectives, right? Because I think you and I have seen threat hunting um, in, in different lights, but we share a lot of commonalities there. So um, one of the things I'm really curious about from your perspective is how does um, that benefit you being able to hunt across as much data as you have since you have multiple customers and multiple environments to look at? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it, it produces its own challenges, right? So, um, you know, hunting multiple technologies can be a challenge. Um, you know, multiple EDRs, multiple SIMs, um, and so on and so forth. I think the large data sets can be a challenge. So, uh, can your technology handle the, the size queries that you need? Are you able to store as much data as you need in order to be able to, to threat hunt? Uh, but with that, I think there's a, a lot of benefits and the benefits definitely outweigh some of the challenges once you can figure out how to get over those humps. Um, 
you know, when you're, when you're looking at threat hunting and you're pulling results, the first thing we try to do is reduce the number of results. Uh, and the only way to really do that is to understand what's normal. And so, you know, almost like a, uh, you know, like a, a machine learning or a grouping algorithm, we can tell what's normal based off of all the different data that we have, all the different devices, uh, and kind of baseline what's normal and, and put that to our queries to be more exact into what we're finding. And so I think that's a really strong uh, way to be able to use that data uh, to figure out what's normal across everybody's environment and then kind of pull that together. I think uh, the... The other part of that is industry-specific data. So we service a lot of different industries, healthcare, financial, uh, manufacturing. And so we can group those together and look at the data differently. So we can say, well, you know, what, are, what are the attacks that we're seeing in this, uh, you know, in this sector? And we can kind of build some detections, some funding packages around that, uh, and then understand what other people are seeing in comparison to um, you know, another company or organization that's like them. And so that helps us a lot to be able to use that industry specific data, uh, to get down to that. Um, you know, when you have an MSSP and you have so many logs and so many different log sources, uh, comes a lot of experience. Uh, you see a lot, you get to hunt a lot. Um, you, you know, you, you discover those gaps, you discover, you know, different tactics and techniques that are being used across multiple entities. Uh, and then the, the other, uh, side of the coin for that is that. You know, you can hunt one environment and then build that hut to work on another environment. Or you could be in an IR for somebody um, and identify some things that could potentially be good alerts uh, inside the platforms for other customers or uh, good hunts or queries that can be produced. And so I think those are um, uh, some, some big parts or some big benefits to having that much data to hunt across. Uh, but of course, it comes with some challenges as well. Yeah, no, I like when you talk about understanding what's normal, because, you know, if you think about just security in general, we're really good at sharing bad things. Like, here's some bad things to look for, but like, it's really hard to share what's normal to mature people that way. And that's more of an experience thing, or you have to just be able to see it. And you guys kind of have that visibility, which is really cool. So. Yeah. So. Uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say like, worst case scenario, you create a query and, and say, Hey, here's your query. And they run it and they're like, Oh, we have all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, because, you know, they don't understand what's normal as opposed to, you know, where, where the anomaly is, which yeah. is what we're looking for at the end of the day. Yeah. So how does threat intelligence, so, you know, you, you manage threat intelligence too, right? So how does that factor into hybrid hunting? Uh, so I think threat intelligence is super important. I, I think we're coming into a day and age where threat hunting and threat intel, uh, are working closer and closer together and they should I, I almost feel like they're they're becoming one entity uh because intelligence is important to prioritize the data and to build the hunting packages uh, i want my threat hunters to spend as much time as possible analyzing the data uh, as opposed to figuring out you know what they should look at uh, and i think it's a partnership i think it you know both ways a threat hunter is going to find leads as well as an intel team uh, but the intel team you know is really a big portion of that prioritization uh, to figure out what's trending and not only trending like you know on social media or different uh feeds that way uh, but what's trending in our data and so looking at our data uh you know we do uh, a quarterly threat report every year which is our quarterly report every quarter and then we do we'll send it at the end of the year which is basically that you know we concatenate all the information we have from all our devices and figure out what the trends were uh you know what's you know what's really attacking different customers uh, and then we could feed that over to the hunting team to say, Hey, here are the trends. Can you guys build a hunt around this? Or, um, you know, here's some other information. Can you build a hunt around this? So on and so forth. So, uh, I think, you know, Intel is a, a huge part of threat hunting and it'll continue to evolve over time. Um, as, uh, as both of those, uh, kind of expertise, uh, continue to run the same path. Yeah. I feel like with threat intelligence, you know, there's like two avenues to operationalize that that kind of goes into detection engineering a little bit and then threat hunting and you're kind of doing two you're pulling two different types of threads within that threat and tell report but i also like how you discussed you know when you start seeing multiple threat intelligence reports you can kind of group together and see some commonalities between them to really make really effective hunts or trending behaviors you know like when you use that term because that's that really is where threat hunting becomes really powerful because you know 
like you said even earlier, adversaries adopt a lot of the same things that just work for at least a while. And if no one's looking for them, yeah. they'll continue using them. So, so yeah, very cool. Um, so with the threat hunts you guys perform, do you commonly perform those across multiple clients looking for that same consistent behavior? Like how do you leverage that or do you have to do a lot of tuning between that? How does it work? Yeah, so uh, we try to develop our, our hunts to be global so we can globally look across as many devices as possible at a time. Uh, you know, it does give more results to have to filter through, but uh, we have been pretty successful with doing that. Uh, we also, you know, like, like I mentioned before, we can find something in one environment that may trigger us to create a detection or a query uh, to hunt other environments, uh, right. you, know, you know, through an IR engagement or through just a discovery in general. And so I think, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, a really important piece of that, uh, you know, be able to perform those hunts across multiple clients, uh, globally. And then, you know, we call it follow up hunts, but basically branch out from there to say, okay, well, we need to look here, 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 and then recreating that for maybe another customer or another set of customers, uh, to find that type of activity. So you mentioned that like sets of customers. So do you do a lot of your threat hunting also considering the verticals of like your customers? So, you know, you assume they have the same risk or same problems they may have to deal with. Is that something that comes up too? Yeah, for sure. And, and that kind of goes into the prioritization model. Uh, if we look at, you know, let's say healthcare, we have a really good understanding of the different threat actors that are attacking that vector. Uh, and then with that, we know the tactics, techniques, tools, procedures that those threat actors use. And so if you overload, overlay those two things together, you can understand well, what are the most common things that they all use for this industry. And so that can create a very industry specific hunt, uh, for a group of clients. And so now we know, uh, what the most, uh, the most used techniques are between the threat actors that are attacking that vector. And we can attack those hunts for those specific, uh, specific, uh, client base. So, I mean, I can see the, how there's a great success there. Can you kind of hit on some of the challenges you have with trying to hunt across multiple clients? Do you see challenges there as well based on maybe available visibility or telemetry or what that looks like across tools? Yeah. So I think, you know, visibility is sporadic. So it depends on the client, the maturity of the client, what type of visibility we have. And so the dependency of the hunt uh, does depend a lot on you know, what data we're getting from that client. I think that can be a challenge. We touched on like the technology piece that uh, that's a lot of data to hunt. So if I hunt all of our devices for 90 days, uh, we have to be able to have the back end to be able to support that. Uh, I think that can be uh, a biggest uh, a challenge as well. Uh, and then, you know, with multiple technologies comes multiple queries. So, you know, if we're writing a query for an EDR, uh, we can't just write it for, you know, one. We have to write it for four, five, six different EDRs. Um, you know, a couple different sims, so on and so forth. And so that can be a challenge as well as kind of, uh, you know, recreating those queries. And there's, there's subtle differences between each of them, right? Like what needs to be changed and tuned right. wise. Uh, so that could be a bit of a challenge, a little time consuming at times. Uh, but you know, ultimately we can get good results out of it. Very cool. Um, can you, uh, can you talk to some success stories where threat hunting and working with cl a client, uh, proved to be a valuable solution? Yeah. So, you know, within our platform, you know, we're building our hunt packages and using our kind of lab environment to you know, test it, validate it, emulate the behaviors and that kind of thing. Um, but we don't have the visibility like you guys do to all the customer data to look what, what's normal. Right. Um, so we commonly, um, will work with clients, you know, we have a way for them to give feedback on different things. And sometimes they'll help us mature a hunt because, you know, they'll have their expertise in house, which is really cool to say, Hey, here's some additional things that we, you may want to consider or things we found and we'll take that and we'll mature it and matures it for everybody. Right. Which is always fantastic. Um, in other cases, they'll say, we see these things and we don't know what we're looking at. And with the same kind of feedback loop, we're able to work with, you know, our clients to say, yeah, no, that seems fairly normal. Some things you may want to exclude if you need help understanding how to put those exclusions into your hunt and things like that. We work with them as well. Um, but we, we, I do think there's a benefit because I mean, threat hunting isn't just a set it and forget it type of process anyways. Right. So anytime you can have engagement or feedback or that interaction, I think it always benefits both sides. So. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that, that comes back to that strong partnership. And it looks like you guys just have a different flavor of doing that through, through the, uh, the request and information or view you get back from the customer to the hunts. Uh, and that's what it comes down to. You know, I think that's what makes uh, hybrid hunting very 
uh, very powerful is creating that partnership and that feedback loop uh, to understand, you know, are we doing good? Uh, do you need something else? And, uh, you know, is this normal in your environments uh, is really great. Yeah. So have you ever been able to provide threat hunting to clients that didn't actually have any threat hunting in place? Or do you usually just try to modify yeah, I mean, uh, most of the time, honestly, uh, threat hunting is still kind of new. Uh, you know, some some uh, customers, um, depending on maturity, have done a little bit of threat hunting, uh, but uh, we do this very often, uh, and it's you know through the use of the processes that we've already vetted and created to be successful with threat hunting. We can share those uh, with the client. Uh, we understand the visibility gaps and uh, products that they may need to fill those gaps, and in some cases, uh, NMSSP can can fill in those gaps with the technologies they need. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think we've been able to, to, to pick the ball up kind of wherever it's at on the court um, and, uh, and and roll with it. Very cool. Uh, so I know threat hunting is supposed to help identify threats uh, that get past standard detections and uh, protections. Uh, from your experience, does that prove true? Uh, are you routine, routinely finding threats that circumvent standard detections and protections? Yeah, so that's something that always kind of comes up. Um, behaviors, I feel like, and, and if you have experience looking and searching for specific malicious behaviors, they seem to persist a lot longer than your typical IOCs and things like that. Um, and we kind of had a customer success story where you know we were working with a client and they took one of our hunts. It was about some initial access uh, vector stuff. And they matured their hunt in their environment, so they felt very confident with their results. And so they kind of scheduled a routine-type reporting um, to kind of email results that they got any about what they'll look for. And, you know, obviously they have a security operations center and analysts looking at alerts and things coming in as well. And they did get an alert in the security operations center from one of their EDR tools. And when they went through their processes and reached out to the, their endpoint, you know, person at, at work, uh, to try to discuss this alert, they said they were already on the phone with you know one of the threat hunters. Um, so the threat hunters was able to identify that behavior before the payload or ending payload of that whole chain of attack um, got delivered and detected by the EDR. And it really wasn't about comparing one's better than the other. Really what I think that story highlights is it kind of filled two different gaps, right? And so, you know, a lot of times if you can see where maybe the payload changes, um, at the end of the day, because now people have hashes or other ways or, you know, EDR tools have some sort of signatures to pick up on those things. Well, the payload changes, but the behavior doesn't. Threat hunting will still identify people trying to leverage that same technique to get their payloads in versus the ending payload. Um, and I think that was really cool to kind of hear, one, how they kind of both identified the same thing, different parts, um, and how they work really well together. So, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's important. Uh, you know, threat hunting is not a replacement for EDR, and the EDR is not a replacement for threat hunting. Uh, I think they're very complementary to each other for for the reasons that you highlighted there. Um, you know, the reason that we're threat hunting a query is probably because it can't be an alert, and so uh, the EDR can't create alerts on you know some of the activity or behavior uh, just because it would it flood the system and it would become unusable. Yeah, um, you know, I think that's where threat hunting come in, comes in, where we can be a little bit less granular in some instances, uh, and then use the the human mind to kind of get to the anomalous behavior uh, and and all that information. So yeah, yeah I was gonna I was gonna bring up one additional point there that kind of as you're talking through, um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think threat hunting is so important because, like you said, you can't put all that into a tool and have it do the alerts because we're really hunting the human aspect almost of the threat. And a lot of them are trying to just use tools that exist on the systems they're going after. So they're not you know, using customizable malware and tools now. They're using standard things that exist in the systems. And so they blend in better. And that's that lay of the land type of techniques. And so it'd yeah. be really hard for a tool to alert on all the activity around those necessarily. So a lot, a lot of false positives, yes. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we talked about hunts and, and prioritizing them, uh, you know, based off of trending data, which kind of brings up the question of how quickly do you typically turn around the hunt, uh, once it comes up uh, in a hypothesis or, or whatever your prioritization, um, system is. Yeah. So it typically it's 24 to 72 hours, but I, we say data dependent and that's just because we don't want to push a hunt pack that's so experimental that we can't validate it ourselves. Um, because we, we would hate for someone to feel comfortable that, hey, we've got this covered and there's no real 
confidence that it's really being covered. Or if we have to do that, you know, we make sure to very clearly, you know, explain, hey, this is something that you could try, but we're not fully done with this if we had to push something early. But it's usually 24 to 72 hours data dependent. Um, and it, you know, typically, you know, once we have a skeleton of the hypothesis is when we really start doing our own testing to start building that thing out. Um, and so, like I said, we won't, when we generate our package and we're able to emulate the data and also as part of that development cycle so that not only are we pushing a pack that we can validate it ourselves, we try to make it, you know, if possible, so you can validate it as well in your environment for, for part of that turnaround time. Yep. Make, makes, makes a lot of sense. So, you know, how do you organize your threat hunting operations, you know, um, it, that from, is it by client, by behaviors, by the emerging threats? Like, how do you kind of do your operation around all those things? Uh, I think all the above. So, um, if we think about like the first method of, of prioritizing, you know, what we're going to hunt, we look at trending, um, you know, large scale exploits that come out, uh, things that are hot off the press, uh, proof of concepts that come out. So we know that, you know, um, you know, actually external facing, uh, types of vulnerabilities uh, that are easily exploitable that we think we can detect. Uh, we prioritize that stuff. Uh, we do, uh, you know, as I mentioned, threat actors, uh, understanding threat actors that are actively attacking organizations and what or types of organizations they're trying to attack, um, kind of pulling apart their tool sets, their TTPs, uh, and hunting for that. It's another way. Uh, the threat intelligence team uh, can prioritize based off of trends that we're identifying. And so, you know, what malware do we see being used the most? What are some techniques that are being used, used the most? Uh, you know, where are they be, being successful? Uh, so I think that's another way uh, to kind of prioritize that data as well. So from that managed security perspective, what's really the largest value you feel you're bringing to threat hunting operations or to an organization in general? You know, from, from a managed security's perspective, that, that experience uh, is huge. Uh, being able to see... Uh, multiple different types of attacks. Uh, a lot of threat hunts or organizations, you know, they could be, you know, there for a year and never see anything. As an MSSP, we kind of have more exposure uh, to a lot of the different attacks and uh, exposure to doing threat hunts. And so it gives you that uh, instant um, scalability uh, to mm -hmm. uh, to your organization. So you're you're basically adding threat hunters with lots of expertise to be able to look through your environment. Um, I think your capabilities are increased uh, through uh, either identifying gaps in uh, coverage or, um, you know, just hunting inside of your environment. Uh, and so I think those are, are uh, some of the main factors of by using MSSP that you gain uh, as a client. Absolutely. And so uh, with, uh, with, with threat months that you guys have performed in the past, do they seem to be more targeted Intel driven or analytic, uh, analytical outlier driven? So, yeah, we're kind of like to take the same approach. You know, I think threat intelligence is really powerful. Um, it's kind of where you learn how things operate and what they do. So we, we kind of focus on that. And then there's kind of a, I would say a middle ground in between Intel driven and analytical driven, which I like to call profiling, where it's just like under, it's kind of like knowing myself. And typically, you know, we, we can help create some of these to help profile your own environment, but it's like, how is like, for instance, the latest vulnerability with Outlook, you know, doing SMB callouts, you know, how is SMB being utilized and when is it trying to go external to your environment? You know, that's kind of a way to profile that kind of behavior in general that can catch a lot of, you know, previous attacks that leverage that same behavior. Um, and then when you have really good validated data, there um, is ways to do more of that statistical analysis, um, depending on what tools capabilities are to kind of do that analytical driven. Uh, but Intel is, I think, a great place to start and kind of mature into those other areas um, that I kind of talked about. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more there. Yeah. So, um, what's the typical time window that you perform like reoccurring hunts? You know, I, I know like hunting is kind of a process that you put in place and you, you typically kind of revisit the same hunts or behaviors if you know they're still being effective and you're still looking for them. Is it like daily, weekly, maybe even hourly? Is there a, a specific time frame you guys usually leverage? Yeah, it's so it kind of depends on the hunt. Uh, you know, I think it's important to age out your hunts of the, as they become, uh, you know, less valuable or, or less potent. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. threat actors have pivoted away from those. Uh, but we do have hunts that, uh, you know, are active or techniques that are actively used. We try to 
you know, look at those uh, weekly, sometimes monthly. Uh, probably not anything close to hourly. I think you probably need some some sort of automation in place or kind of as you mature the program a little bit more. And then we're kind of getting into detection area then. Um, yeah. Where we'd want to create a detection. So if it's something that we think, you know, we could create a detection around. So I think it, it varies. Uh, but I would say weekly, monthly for some of those high fidelity hunts uh, is is a good goal to, to go after. Yeah, I think you make a, a good point, right? You know, sometimes... I think the reoccurring hunts also kind of goes to what is your return. So if you mm -hmm. make that window too big, you might be getting good results that are worth looking at. But if you create a huge list to look at, it might be better to tighten that window just so that it gets more manageable, right? Yeah. Some aspects. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what kind of skills and talents do uh, your threat hunters bring uh, to the table? What areas do you typically focus on the most uh, when you look at a threat hunter? Yeah, so this kind of comes back to, you know, what telemetry do, do organizations usually have? Um, and, you know, a lot of that comes to, like, endpoint data and network data. So I feel like if you have someone who's got really good understanding of, you know, your typical operating system and typically what runs on those operating systems, as well as, you know, even the environment they're in. So sometimes having that experience of being working in a place for a while helps. Um, and then networking skills. It's good to understand how things communicate. Um, in general, um, some of the basic things with networking. You don't have to necessarily be a master of all those, but uh, definitely having, a, a, you're really comfortable um, with that kind of data is good. But there's also additional skills that I think just bring a lot to the table. Uh, I think a threat hunter is kind of well-rounded. So those might be their technical skills, but they definitely have um, knowledge with threat intel. They're used to seeing threat intel, reading threat intel. Um, they understand instant response. You know, a lot of times it's really muddy when you look at a threat hunter and instant responder because they kind of leverage a lot of the same skills when they're going after a threat. One, they know it's there. One, they don't know they're looking for. Um, and then forensics, uh, I think that's a good skill to have because it kind of closes that gap where if you don't have that really good endpoint knowledge, but you know how to look at that endpoint um, forensically, you learn a lot anyways. Um, so it helps fill that gap. Um, but really, you know, when I look at threat hunting, like I mentioned before, you, you're kind of focused on the human aspect a little bit because it's behaviors like the habits of a person or a threat. Um, so it's really bridging that technology to adversary um, kind of approach. So, you know, kind of, I guess, all that put into one, but, you know, you don't have to be a master at all starting out. It's really, it's really good to have a place to start and kind of look at those other areas to improve. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, that's a really good point when it goes back to, like, the expertise and, like, a, uh, you know, a threat hunter kind of has many hats to an extent. They have to understand many aspects of cybersecurity from you know incident response to more analytical stuff um uh, which i think is important you know some of the soft skills always come to mind when i'm thinking of a threat hunter uh are you know are they curious i mean you have to be a very curious individual to be successful at threat hunting because everything's not on the surface i would say uh you know most things are not on the surface and so uh it takes a really uh that really curious uh, mind to to have the the grit to continue down a hunt uh, to find you know what's not easily found that that needle in the haystack. Uh, and then you you know you touch like skill wise you you have to understand a little bit about detection uh, a little bit of analytical skills uh, probably a lot of analytical skills when it comes to uh, you know deducting from some of your results. Um, so I think those are some some really uh, strong skills and a lot of skills that, you know, uh, a threat hunter needs to bring to the table. But as you said, like it is progressive, like you can start somewhere, right? Like I think, you know, good solid foundation is someone who started a network, which is probably the, one of the harder things to threat hunt uh, when you're just looking at traffic. Uh, and so, uh, I've seen a lot of successful people have backgrounds in networking to begin, uh, and then, you know, kind of try to do some of those easier hunts, uh, just looking for some IOCs, maybe some uh, TTPs like brute forcing and things of that nature, uh, and then kind of evolve into, you know, more uh, more data-driven from the endpoint side. Uh, so, yeah, it's, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, so I, I hear we're getting a lot of questions, so I think we'll pivot to kind of the Q&A session. Um, so, uh, yeah, Josh, uh, any questions that you can uh, call out to see if we can try to answer the best as possible? All right, guys. Uh, we've gotten a ton of great questions um, with quite a few more coming in. So if anyone else has any questions, don't forget to throw them in the chat. Uh, the first question is from Ed, and he has a burning question. Sysmon or Windows Event Log, what's your preference? 
I'll, I'll jump right in if you want me to first. Um, so uh, one thing with Sysmon, there's a lot of off stuff that's usually missing. I know they talked about newer versions, including that, but uh, Sysmon seems to be my, my favorite Sysmon. There's some more telemetry about what processes are doing what in a lot of cases, and it's also easier to tune out unnecessary logging, um, which is nice. Now, sometimes you might overtune and then you might be missing telemetry you may want, um, but it's also, you have to manage it, right? So there's a, it's a little harder to manage um, for people that aren't familiar with Sysmon. Um, and then with uh, Windows event logging, you know, it, it's a great place to start, especially if you don't want to add any additional complexity or tooling, or it's hard to burn into your environment that way. Um, but, you know, there's been some, you know, one of the challenges I, I've found between the two is with registry-based stuff. Um, and then also network logging, right? Windows is really hard to get some of that network logging unless you're going through the firewall-based things or firewall-type events, but can be very verbose. So it's adding a lot to collection. Um, and then with the registry, sometimes I've put uh, auditing on certain registry keys. And sometimes when they're written to net new, I don't see a log. But when they're being touched or interacted with or updated, then I'll see the log. And I, and I haven't been able to solve that one personally. Um, but that's why I really like to fall back on Sysmon because I haven't fallen into any of these like uh, weird gaps um, where I know I, I really need that visibility for certain things. Yeah, and, and I, I would probably agree with Scott here as well. Um, you know, Sysmon, a lot of there is a lot of configuration um, and management of Sysmon. Uh, but it's going to give you a little bit more capability, I think, and an ability to fill some of those gaps. Ed, uh, Windows event logging, uh, still a little bit of configuration, right? You got to have the right uh, configuration for your Windows logging to capture command line arguments and so on and so forth, process creation. Uh, and they can be a little bit harder to understand uh, to an extent. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, perfect world Sysmon, but I think you can do uh, reasonable threat hunting with Windows event logs as well. Uh, given that you have uh, the right configuration there. Okay. Right. Uh, another question that came in was from Pedro, and he had noticed that both of you had used the term hunt package several times throughout the event. Um, what exactly is a hunt package? Like, What's in it? So go ahead. I'll let you start this one since I started my last one. <laughs> okay. I'll make it. Uh... Yeah, so, so a hunt package is basically a collection of TTPs that may be used or indicators that may be used for an event. So if we talk about um, maybe uh, a particular piece of malware, uh, the package for a hunt for that piece of malware will probably include multiple different TTPs, uh, multiple uh, different types of IOCs and queries uh, in order to finish that whole hunt. There's usually not just one thing we're looking for. Uh, it's a collection of things to... Uh, bring together to identify whatever that that higher level thing is with inside the hunt. Yeah, so our hunt package, and we use that term a little differently, but kind of the same end result, right? It's everything you need to find whatever behavior or specific target of things you're looking for. So it should include, and we include a lot of things in ours as far as like, um, you know, like I mentioned before, some intel, some notes, um, you know, you get the queries themselves and things like that because we're giving that to you to, to perform um specifically but yeah it's really you think of a hunt pack as it's basically the the thing wrapped up in a bow that helps you do what you're specifically looking for with everything that you hopefully would need to do that so yeah one thing i also noticed uh kind of uh in in your platform and, and how we document stuff things important like remediation tactics are in a, oh, yeah. a hunt package usually uh false positives uh, what can generate a false positive uh, is usually in that package as well uh, so just kind of thinking of as the, of the glossary of everything you need to know about, um, you know, whatever you're hunting um, and, uh, you know, put it in one spot. Awesome. Uh, we got another question. Uh, we've actually gotten several people to ask this question, and we're going to break it up into two parts. So it's really around the core of dashboarding. Now, the first part of the question is, what would you as hunters want to look at first thing in the morning to get kind of a pulse on your environment, right? What kind of things could you dashboard uh, or would you expect to want to see on a dashboard? I can say, you know, from, from our perspective, dashboarding wise, uh, you know, wake up, drink your cup of coffee. Uh, we need to see what's trending, what's uh, what's really hit big uh, from a an external standpoint, not necessarily our environment generally, uh, but look at how those things may affect our environment. 
Uh, so that's kind of, uh, you know, morning coffee for threat hunter is understand, you know, has anything changed since last night? Uh, is there any new exploits, malware, you know, vulnerabilities, uh, you know, different TTPs that are being used. Uh, but the other part of that is, um, alerts are pretty strong from a threat hunting perspective. Uh, I think, you know, a dashboard showing the alerts that have fired, um, from the systems over the last 24 hours or something, just to kind of get an idea of, you know, what are we seeing alert wise? And so maybe there's something hunting, um, that we can either, maybe we can help tune that detection, or maybe there's something else we could look for to uh, find other behaviors inside the environment. I think, uh, you know, I know, I know my threat hunters, you know, in general, always look at the EDR alerts just to kind of get an idea of, of what we're seeing. Uh, so I think those are good in the dashboard as well. Yeah. So I, I would say I mentioned earlier, um, when it came to profiling, um, I think it's really cool if you've got some ways to profile your environment in general, um, like, uh, and I always talk about profiling and doing diff. So I'm like creating the process in the fly for everybody right now. Right. But like a good example for that would be maybe I'm looking at who uses PowerShell in the environment on a day-to-day -day basis. And what's the diff of that on the next day, right? Like, wow, there's some new names that pop up. Well, those might be really worth just looking into because that's just suspicious in general. And you don't, you might not necessarily create alerts on something like that because it might not be worth a SOC, a SOC analysis time. But, you know, stuff like that, um, that you can kind of just rule out of what's abnormal. Um, and, I, you know, I think what Justin was talking to, too, looking at alerts and things like that help you kind of suss some of those things out as well. Um, yeah, any, anything that would help generate a hypothesis, I think, would be, yeah. uh, you know, a great start on a dashboard because uh, it's kind of the starting point for us. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, the hypothesis generation. So Josh, I don't know, we've been running out of like two minutes here. Um, is this something where we have another question or we want to kind of pivot? Uh, there is just one quick last question. Akshay wants to know, what is your lightning bolt or, or weapon that you use to make businesses understand the gravity of the situation where they need to invest into increased visibility, such as new log sources or new tools for threat hunting? Is there is there one thing or that you can both kind of quickly touch on? Yeah, I mean, I would just say being able to emulate some of the behaviors you know you're going to have to deal with and not being able to see them, um, it's a, a, a valid way to just prove it. You know, not just talk about it, but it's, you know, able to say, look, this is what people are doing and we don't see this. And this is what a threat we're you know, up against kind of thing. I think that stresses that issue pretty strongly. Um, I don't know what you'd say to that, Justin. No, I mean... I I don't have much to add to that. That's that's exactly right. I mean, if if you're emulating tacks that are happening today and you have zero visibility into them, it's a big, hey, look, we know threat actors are using this. Um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times it's you know, like you mentioned, Scott, it's it's after the fact, right? We're already in the weeds. We're, we're right. working in IR. We realize, well, we don't have coverage here, um, and so that's where that strategic part of threat hunting can get you ahead of that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we hope that, you know, IRs aren't the wake up call to get visibility. Uh, so I think that those emulated attacks or even tabletops to understand what you have uh, visibility into, uh, are really good, uh, you know, lightning bolt, uh, so to say to, uh, to kind of strike the match and, and get things going on that end. All right. So I'm going to pivot Josh. So, you know, for those that have joined us, you know, if you really want to see some of the hunt packages we were talking about from the cyborg side. Uh, we have our hunter platform you can get access with the promo code hybrid hunting to the community accounts with the qr codes shown there or the url up there at the bottom um, and i think justin you guys have something else offered yeah and uh, as i mentioned before newsbuyer does have quarterly threat reports uh that just kind of shows our trending findings uh when it comes to exploits malware botnets so on and so forth uh different ttps uh you can pick up a copy of that uh, using the url below or the QR code. And I think uh, we're actually going to drop the, the URL for that into the chat uh, if you want to check that out. So we hope everyone found the information presented today valuable in developing your own hybrid hunting program. Uh, it's important to remember that threat hunting is an ongoing process, not a one-time event. And by leveraging the power of hybrid hunting, organizations can better allocate resources and expertise to effectively detect and respond to those threats. We encourage you to follow us on social media as we both uh, Cyborg and Newspire share valuable information about threat hunting and cybersecurity regularly. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to continuing this conversation on hybrid hunting and threat hunting in general in the future. So happy hunting, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.